1: This is the Customer Equity Accelerator, a weekly show for marketing executives who need to accelerate customer-centric thinking and digital maturity. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe of Ambition Data. This show features innovative guests who share quick wins on how to improve your bottom line while creating happier, more valuable customers. Ready to accelerate? Let's go. Welcome, everyone. Today's show is about the future of MarTech. And to help me discuss this topic is Joe Stanhope, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Forrester Research. Now, Joe is an expert in the field of, or really I should say the intersection of marketing and technology, which is such a rich area of information. And I think I have personally single-handedly shared his future of MarTech presentation about a hundred times. Joe, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for inviting me to join. It's great to be here.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Now, I will include that link because I love that presentation so much um, about the future of MarTech. (laughs) It's not often that we hear people who can see the future or, or see around corners very well, you know, especially in such a crowded field. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got to this intersection in your career?
0: Sure. I've basically spent my entire working career in the marketing industry in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. I've worked in marketing services, actually started my career at a college at Experian. A mm-hmm. Great company, still out there doing good things. I've worked in marketing technology in many different capacities, and I've even been a chief marketing officer and run marketing departments myself. So I've worked a lot of different kind of leads of, of the marketing stool, and I've seen it from a variety of perspectives and that's the kind of broad set of perspective then that I try to bring to my work at Forestry.
1: Do you actually study marketing in college or business, or did you come at it from a different angle? I
0: actually did. I did get a degree in business administration with a major in marketing
1: nice. University of
0: Illinois. So I've been thinking about marketing for a very, very long time.
1: You sure have. You sure have. Well, tell us a little bit more about what your team does or, or you know, commercially what you specifically do at Forrester since such a big company. I imagine there's lots of specialties.
0: Sure. Yeah. And for anyone who's not familiar with Forrester, we're an independent research firm and we provide data advisory and syndicated research to large corporations to help business and technology leaders develop and execute their strategies for customer growth and to build their companies. We are obviously have teams of analysts and supporting staff that cover all different kinds of technologies and capabilities throughout the entire enterprise, uh, but I actually sit on our business to consumer marketing research team, and so I cover enterprise marketing technology as a part of that group. And so it's my job to help our clients understand what their, their marketing technology requirements might be and help them organize and build and plan to develop marketing tech stack that would meet their needs.
1: That sounds like a pretty big challenge, considering how many tools are in the Martech stack right now.
0: Well, there's no shortage of options. That's for sure, and it mm-hmm. keeps all of us very, very busy. I actually split the, the marketing technology field at Forrester with my colleague, Rusty Warner, who's based in, in London. And so Rusty covers a lot of the personalization and campaign management and, and marketing resource management uh, marketing operations technologies. And my role is complementing that coverage by, uh, I cover the large suites or cloud solutions, I cover emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, as an example. And then I also look strategically at kind of the, the longer term trajectory of the marketing technology industry. So And between the two of us, I will tell you, we are extraordinarily busy all the time. There's a lot going on, and our clients are are very hungry to learn more about technology and to learn how to use it and to make sure they're using it and leveraging their investments in the best possible way.
1: Oh, I can I can imagine. So, let's start with the classic, you know, why should I care about where B2C martech is going? You've got thousands of tools out there. Isn't everything accounted for? You know, I have an email budget, I stick an email tool in there. I have a CRM budget, I stick a CRM tool in there. You know, what more is there? Why should I care about the future?
0: Sure. You know, I think this is something that is driven by consumers and brands' customer relationships. You know, at the most fundamental level, at Forrester, we talk about this idea of the age of the customer, which is really kind of intended to demarcate this new era or epoch in the history of business, right? Like, like the information age, right? Or the industrial age. And what it really signifies is this idea that within the last few years, consumers have really taken control of brand relationships. Whereas historically, right, for a hundred or more years, brands controlled their relationships with consumers. Brands decided who they communicated with, what they told their customers, how and when. They gave information to their customers. Now that that script has completely flipped over, right? A lot of it is technical, right? Like the idea that all of us have a smartphone in our pocket, uh-huh. but a lot of it is cultural as well. And that has major impacts across the entire enterprise, not just marketing.
1: Oh, uh, hang on. Was there, was there a trigger or something that shifted us into the age of the customer?
0: Uh, a lot of people would say it was really the advent of the internet and personal technology like mobile devices.
1: So maybe identification. Um,
0: I believe, though, it's also a cultural shift, Mm. right? That not just the idea that consumers are empowered, right, by these technologies, but that they are actually have a sense of entitlement (laughs) and they want control. and They want what they want exactly when and how they want, right? And when they don't get that, they will go find it elsewhere. you know. And I think if we all reflect on our personal lives and how we like to deal with brands and how we in our personal professional relationships operate today, you realize pretty quickly we have been trained right, to be very entitled. We are used to a Spotify where right? I can listen to every piece of music I've been made. I'm used to being able to Google everything. I'm used to being able to watch almost everything in television and movies on demand. And that trickles down and creates expectations into every aspect of business, I see. Right? even the ones that aren't even consumer-facing. And so it's this kind of entitlement that drives, it raises the bar right, for what marketing and customer engagement becomes. And that fundamentally depends on technology. Mm-hmm. Technology has become part and parcel of marketers' roles. It has become actually a very balanced, a technical, and creative profession. Nobody ever calls Forrester and says, we want to give the technology back. It's never happened. It's never going to happen, right? We use technology to do our jobs as as marketers because that's the only way to generate these frictionless relationships to orchestrate and deliver uh, the kind of engagement that customers want. And to even understand uh, or predict, right, and and anticipate what our customers want. It is a a technical discipline now.
1: Got it. Got it. So, you know, if, if I care about this area, how does the technology shape up? How should I think about it?
0: We're coming out of an age where we did, as you implied earlier, buy a lot of technology piecemeal to solve specific slices, right, of activity or engagement with a customer. We bought an email tool, we bought a mobile tool, we got a social tool, right? There's a a set of web tools. And that's happened naturally over time. It, It wasn't even something I think that everybody explicitly planned out. And it's because marketing is always this moving target, right? There's always new ways to engage coming up, right? And even as we speak today, Someone is in their basement coming up with the next way to engage, right? the next social network, the next great device. So marketing is always evolving, always changing, and that has always created this steady march of adding technology. And what we find is although technology has been very successful, it's become uh, ubiquitous in in marketers' lives, now that the expectation from from marketers is that they will get this cohesive, relevant, personalized engagement anywhere, anytime on any device – Marketers are now realizing that having this piecemeal approach to technology actually stunts their ability to deliver that cohesive engagement. And so there's been this kind of renaissance and shift in expectations with the brands that we work with, Forrester, where they're starting to think through, how do I build a technology stack that helps me bring channels, touch points together over time, understand what my customers need so I can engage with them anywhere they want to
1: got it and i think that part of the stack is really interesting because just a couple weeks ago we had the adobe summit and just before that ibm had their event and you know you've got these mega companies out there who are acquiring the different tools and i know you might not say this but i will say this i will go on record with this i think what they're building are franken stacks you know they're they're acquiring different <laughs> chunks and then they're trying to like gloss it over. Like if I were baking a cake and I took six chunks of chocolate cake and then tried to pull it together with icing, it would look like a cake from the outside. But when you cut into it, it'd be a holy mess. <laughs> <laughs> I see a lot of these. Stocks.
0: Well, the, the, of the, the, well the, the marketing technology <laughs> ecosystem is following, I think, a, a fairly standard development arc right, where you go through, at some stage, a, a level of consolidation as it gains traction and acceptance. And that's perfectly normal. And certainly we have seen that, right? Where you have these large marketing cloud vendors, as they're commonly called, that have many times through acquisitions have acquired a wide range of functionality, right? That they are able to sell by themselves. And of course, they are doing that because they see a, a market right? for, for marketing technology that is broad and growing. Their customers are asking for it. There are obvious cost and procurement benefits you know, to working with maybe fewer vendors. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there is this, you know, outlying marketing benefit, customer engagement benefit. If I can have a set of tools that's based on maybe one understanding of the customer, one customer profile, the ability to coordinate across channels, that helps marketers get to where they want to go with the marketing technology stack. So from a commercial level, from a vendor perspective, as companies that want to grow, many of them are publicly held, right? So they need to keep growing themselves. From a customer engagement perspective, all the stars align, right, and kind of support at a theoretical level this growth of that kind of vendor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's out there, and certainly they do have a lot of traction and a lot of power in the marketplace. But Forrester is also on record as saying that they are fragmented and the tools are not always as integrated, right, as, as we might want them to be. Mm-hmm. And necessarily, that is a, a fact of life when you acquire a lot of different technologies, binding them to get, together you know, from a front-end UX or, or even a, a back-end platform perspective takes a lot of time and investment. Nobody ever said that this would be easier or, or even quick. Mm-hmm. So the promise is there, and that's actually why at Forrester, we don't call them clouds <laughs> or, or even platforms. Uh, we call them enterprise marketing software suites uh, because they are a collective or a collection of functionality that you can acquire from a single vendor.
1: You know, and I'm just going to call out because I saw this on your website recently that there is a new Forrester report out on the enterprise marketing software suite. So if your company has a Forrester license, you can get that pricey report. And if not, you can look at the summary. I'll include a link to that page. But let's come back to the enterprise marketing vendors are where many companies are today. Who are their challengers? Who's coming up behind them to say, hey, we can do it better, faster, stronger?
0: Well, there is still an established need to have what you could call historically what has been called a best of breed set of vendors. Even for as broad and as large um, and significant as these marketing sweet vendors are, they don't do everything, right? And like we said, that's not even their fault. It's because marketing is continuously expanding and evolving and growing. So everyone's trying to keep up with that, that continuous expansion of the marketing universe and the customer engagement universe. And so even if a brand is highly committed to one of the large marketing suite vendors, and a lot of them are, sometimes for good reason, they still need to fill in certain gaps, right? Maybe in the short or midterm, or because of sophistication needs or sort industry needs, they have to fill in certain gaps uh, around what that large suite vendor does. And that has created a continuous need for specialty investor breed vendors that wrap around those those large suites. And that's why you still have hundreds, if not thousands of vendors in this landscape because there's continued innovation and, and a need um, for a diverse kind of compilation of what that marketing tech stack looks like for for a wide variety of, of brands.
1: so what what are examples of those categories? Um, where are specialties popping up?
0: Uh, Well, you still see that one of the best examples is that advertising technology and marketing technology are largely still separate worlds. And a lot of that is because of how they are resourced and how they are bought and paid for, the the involvement of agencies on the advertising side. Marketing technology and and ad technology work with very different data. They have different buyers, different users on the client and agency side. We only in the last, say, 18 months or so have started to see some meaningful integration and consolidation between advertising and marketing technology. But largely today, they're different technologies, different marketing disciplines. Okay, so that's an area where you still see quite a lot of separation.
1: I'm going to challenge that because I think the common route between the two of them is the customer. And don't you have some customer data platforms that are coming up that are trying to, in fact, what usually one of their first areas of success is in ad tech?
0: Well, I do think that Again, as brands seek to create more cohesion across customer engagement points and even between the acquisition and customer marketing sides of the house, there is a movement to start bringing that information together, to leverage the information across the customer journey, and to build better experiences based on that. There is a need for it, and like I said, it is starting to come together. But it is fundamentally challenging. I mean, you're talking about significantly different kinds of data. When, in the ad tech world, you're really talking about oftentimes a cookie based, anonymous third party data. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the, in the customer marketing, customer retention world, we're talking about PII based first party data. Rationalizing these different data types is a significant and longstanding
1: challenge that we're still working through. Okay. I buy that. There definitely are two different data sets, but I think one of the bridges that I start to see is in the lookalike modeling. And maybe that's not as sharp as it should be. Maybe it's an area ripe for artificial intelligence, but it seems like there are some bridges forming across the two data sets, ideally down at the grain of the customer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the integration points, at least in the early to mid stages of this consolidation, are definitely at the data level and finding those points of crossover. Where can customer marketing and e-commerce and acquisition in digital media exchange information, create consistency in profiles, share data sets, and even customer identity fragments? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's definitely, I think, how it starts. But it's going to take more than that, if we're being honest. It's going to take organizational challenges. I and mean, brands organize differently. They budget differently across advertising and marketing today the way advertising and advertising technology is bought and paid for is fundamentally different than the way marketing technology is procured Mm -hmm. so there are still some beyond the technology and the data side uh, the organizational model the leadership mandate to bring these disciplines together even pricing aspects are still going to have to work through a level of convergence
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So if I am going to modernize my marketing stack, what would I be looking for? What would I be trying to modernize it for? To do what?
0: Right. So the way we talk to our clients about it is to really start moving away, to pivot away from thinking about marketing technology in terms of applications. Because right now, like we were talking about earlier, we think about it in terms of I need to deliver engagement in this channel, or I need to create this bit of data and information. It tends to be very siloed, right? That's how we budget for it. It's how we use it. And that's sort of how we've gotten to this place where we have these kind of big, frankly, pretty ugly marketing tech stacks. Mm-hmm. always play nicely together is because we built it out one piece at a time for one little slice of engagement at a time. And that turns into essentially painting by numbers <laughs> where you're buying a category every time, right? You almost, you go to the store, you've got this shopping list, right? I need a DMP, a campaign tool, an email tool, an SMS tool, demand side platform. And you buy one of each, right? And you think that you're done. And that clearly hasn't worked. <laughs> mm-hmm. It hasn't gotten markers where they want to be. So I start with saying you have to divorce yourself from this idea of I'm shopping for an acronym to fill in a shopping list when I buy marketing technology. You have to think about cohesively what you want your marketing technology stack to accomplish. How do we want to engage with our customers? What kind of insights do we need about our customers? Where are we going to engage with them And over the course of a life cycle? What are the critical moments in that life cycle where we need to engage? And you build a technology stack to accomplish those things. And that gets you into a more strategic place where you're thinking about and compiling a set of technologies. And so the areas we really tell them to focus on, one, think about engagement differently. Instead of engaging one channel at a time, think about what I call continuous engagement, where you are basically playing out a lifecycle experience over channels, over touch points, over a longitudinal period of time with a customer or a segment of customers. Mm-hmm. Think about the speed aspects. Everything's getting faster. A lot of current marketing systems weren't designed for that kind of speed. Think about how quickly right? you need to generate insights, how often you're going to be able to feed data back into your systems, how often you need to be ready to engage with your customers and technically right, build the right kind of data and uh, data-transferred systems, signal processing environments to physically be fast enough to keep up with your customer. Think about changes in the way analytics is going to evolve. Right now, we tend to do analysis at a campaign level, and it tends to be kind of rearview mirror looking, looking back as a course more of the things that have happened in the past. In a world that's very fast, where we are continuously engaging with customers, analytics really becomes more of a monitoring exercise. So we have to rethink the way attribution analytics works. And then we have to think again, we've emphasized very much in this conversation, the aspects of data that are really the modes of intersection, right? What kind of data do you need? and what kind of identity resolution requirements do you have because identity resolution is really the ultimate expression of bringing this information together, knowing it's the same Joe, the same Allison across different applications, devices, interactions across different systems. If you can't know that it's the same customer and build a cohesive profile of that customer, really nothing else matters. Mm -hmm. Identity resolution becomes mission critical. So we want our customers to be thinking about these new dimensions of marketing technology in a strategic way, and that distills down into acquiring technologies or filling in the gaps with their current technology stack
1: to help them get to those strategic outcomes. Well, that makes sense. That's a great framework. And I would go back to what we were talking about with the enterprise marketing systems. If you have all these new dimensions, it seems like it calls into question, do I keep trying to fill in the gaps or wait for my enterprise marketing system to fill in the gaps for me? Or do I chuck it all and try to build on, you know, maybe building my own cloud systems and using lots of API calls or API bridges to make it work the way I think my business runs.
0: Yeah. You get into some optionality there for sure. Um, to, To be totally truthful, we don't see, a huge amount of interest um, in in large marketing organizations in building their own marketing technology. Mm -hmm. I think marketers by trade, right, on the the commercial side of an enterprise are not in the application development business. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't be technical and that they don't understand data and they're building some of those systems. But right now, overwhelmingly, they they anticipate that they'll be buying packaged commercial software or on-demand technology uh, to accomplish those goals. Now, that being said, they still have a huge number of options, right? Um, and and it really becomes um, this idea that how best of breed do you want to be? Uh, it, it would be a, a fallacy to say that if I buy one marketing cloud, it's going to do everything that I need because was, was, we already established no marketing cloud, no marketing system does everything. Mm-hmm. And even working with multiple applications within a single marketing cloud, does require some work to integrate them. You always have to think about the data, no matter whose applications you're buying, you have to think about the users. So there's a lot of work even to make a single marketing cloud work together. So it becomes a question of, do I want to compile and, and do a lot of integration work across applications that have been sourced from, from multiple vendors, or do I want to commit to a single vendor and buy as much as I can from them, which may have some efficiencies, both commercially and technically. That is possible, but it's not a get-algel-free card right? on the integration and management side. there's Everything is more or less best of breed no matter who you buy it from.
1: Got it. Got it. So I like your comment about efficiency and Let's talk a little bit more about the impact. You know, So if I make that move and if I decide to look more at my marketing tech stack from the dimensions that you outlined and think more about how to engage with my customers along the way and how to create better messages, is there a framework or is there something I should be thinking about in terms of how to evaluate the best options for me?
0: Well, I always advise that clients think about use cases and how they want to apply insights and customer engagement options. Because again, a lot of times we think about, I'm going to buy a technology and that's going to help me fix something. Okay. And the reality is technology rarely fixes anything all the time. So we have to be always thinking about what kind of customer insights do I need? How do I want to engage my customers? And we find solutions, that deliver the capability that we need specifically as a business. And from that perspective, it really comes into a planning effort. There's another common error, I think, where we think about that we're going to buy a bunch of technology and we're going to be done. We're going to build the marketing tech stack and we can all go home, (laughs) right? Where the reality is, and this is true with, I think, any technology set is it's sort of a living machine, right? Because again, marketing is evolving. Our users are evolving the way we engage with customers, even your own industry might be evolving. So, I really tell people to start with build a roadmap for your marketing technology, Mm -hmm. plan out, you know, what do we have, what are the use cases and how do we want to use this technology? And you plan out over a appropriate period of time based on your resources, investment levels, what you currently have and what you need, build an actual roadmap plan to construct that marketing technology stack over time. And that's actually where I spent a huge amount of time advising Forrester Clients is getting in a room and figuring out, you know, what is the next two to three or even longer number of years to compile the marketing technology that we need and not just acquire the technology, but to actually get it up and running inside a business. So there's organizational aspects, there's marketing operations and process aspects, there are partnership and agency aspects to using this technology, really looking at it holistically and planning it out very, very intentionally.
1: Got it. So that is a whole lot of strategy to think through. And I I imagine that there's probably this, let's call it like a a crying need for somebody to say, just fix it for me. Just do it for me. Are there any I mean, you've already said that no tool or no system does it for you. But is there anything you're really excited about that's coming up that seems like it might be, you know, the holy grail for marketers?
0: I don't know if there's a holy grail out there. We have a holy grail. Things are always moving along. So it might not be the holy grail for very long. (laughs) We're certainly very bullish at Forrester on artificial intelligence. And that is not to say that it's completely done and fully baked yet. But the promise of AI as a foundational component to marketing applications is extremely compelling. And I think the brands that start getting educated, start learning how to apply AI in their businesses today are setting themselves up. To adopt a very powerful future state of AI as that technology develops. You know, it's also important, I think, for, for brands to develop their marketing processes and their analytics and their skill sets mm-hmm. to handle these new artificial intelligence based systems. Because again, it's not just a technology piece. Mm-hmm. So AI, I think, has a huge amount of potential and will, over the next you know, three, four, five or more years, develop in some pretty dramatic ways from right now, what's a pretty humble beginning. But again, you don't want to ignore it for five years and then try to get on board. It's much easier to start thinking about AI and adopting the discrete and simplified use cases of AI now so that you can develop your capabilities over time to fully take advantage of the extremely powerful capabilities that are going to be arriving in the next few years around marketing automation based on AI or even content creation based on AI. So it's a development process for marketing organizations and for the technology. We are certainly uh, very interested in the concept of identity resolution, which is something I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And building profiles and identity is nothing new in marketing. We've been doing it for 40 years or even longer, certainly for my whole career in this industry. Mm -hmm. But there's been a hugely renewed sense of interest in this because there are so many more touch points and channels, the interest in binding together the acquisition customer marketing side because the digital side and, and the offline side mm-hmm. from a data perspective and a customer experience perspective. So there's a whole new set of expectations around building profiles and identifying customers. And that's a, a very exciting and emerging industry where there's a huge amount of potential, an enormous amount of interest in Forrester
1: clients. Now, I noticed you didn't say permissions in that explanation about ID resolution. And there are some people out there that think that whole advent of blockchain, and I realize this is opening of a whole new ball of wax, but you know, if blockchain rolls out and it's successful and, and the consumers get hold of it and they say, okay, brand, not only do I expect you to give me great experiences that are relevant to me at the given moment in time that I want them, but I'm also just gonna, allow you to use my information, my identity resolution, when I think it's relevant for you to have it. Do you think that's a future that we see?
0: I certainly hope so. And I think there's a strong possibility of that happening. I don't know if it'll be based on blockchain, per se, but the idea of consumers, these, again, empowered, entitled consumers, Mm -hmm. uh, wanting and taking more control over their own identities, Certainly in the regulatory environment, a lot of excitement right now around uh, what's going to happen next month, May 25th, in Europe around GDPR, Mm -hmm. as an instigator of a lot of talking and change in the industry. So, you know, a lot of this is already in motion through various avenues. And we have thought about, at Forrester, uh, a colleague, if anyone wants to search her blog or Twitter, uh, Fatima Kadablu, who covers privacy and regulatory matters, as well as preference management at Forrester. So she literally spends all day thinking about this and concept of personal identity lockers where a consumer, and again, this is something that could eventually be managed through a blockchain technology, have their own set of identity, right? And personal information that they control in their own kind of analogous or metaphorical locker of information. Mm -hmm. And you basically make that set of information available to brands or applications or firms as you see fit, Mm -hmm. right? And you decide who to share and which information of yours you want to share. You turn it on, you can turn it off, you can change again which information gets shared at what level of granularity or how often. That's very, very interesting. Perhaps I could say, look, I'm applying, I'm going to buy a new car, I need to get a new car loan. I go into my locker and I make, right, my credit report and my personal financial information available to the automobile finance company right this week so that they can check my credit and grant my loan right Mm -hmm. or i work with a, a different kind of thing i work with you know a retailer right and i might make some of my interests maybe my clothing size information some of my personal interests available to them my location available to them travel interests available to them on an ongoing basis so they can send me maybe a personalized You know, clothing every quarter, right, that I might want to pick, like a Stitch Fix, right? I could make certain information available to Stitch Fix to improve their algorithms, and I get better clothes because of that, right? Stitch Fix knows I'm going on vacation this fall, and it's going to be a camping trip, so maybe they send me camping-related things because I elected to share that information with them, and I benefit from that because I get a great set of clothes from them when I need it. Having control over that is a fascinating concept, how we get to scale. In that right, from a consumer adoption as well as brand adoption level, how we technically do it, like with blockchain, those things remain to be seen. But is a very strong possibility and a very strong option for inverting the current process, which has mm-hmm. a number of kind of regulatory and security and control flaws, as we are seeing in, again, many, many, many different dimensions right now. And I think markers would embrace that uh, I because think they right would now, too. identity resolution and handling the data is it's fraught with error. It has always been difficult. Having high resolution, high quality, complete data has always been hard. It's not getting any easier. If consumers share the information they want exactly when they want to, presumably it would be higher quality data. You have the permissions sorted out. The security issues in many ways wouldn't be completely absolved, could be vastly improved. Everybody, I think, can benefit that kind of a situation rather than right now where it's really kind of a tonnage game is how much information can you pile in to these systems and hope that it's scaled and has enough quality uh,
1: to do the needle I love that concept. I want that future now because I can see how much it reduces the friction in your life. So for example, my son is getting into backpacking and I am just starting to learn to do backpacking and the sheer heavy lifting of trying to figure out all the various pieces of equipment and then the backpack itself is a lot of friction. And so you can ask lots of different people, but everybody has a different idea, you know, to be able to enable and say, I'm in the market and here are some specs about me and the kind of backpacking I plan to do, hit me. <laughs> I'm ready to take a look at certain products that are right for me. That is so much better than trying to sort it out yourself of what's in stock, what's not in stock, what's carried, what's not carried. I mean, what a zoo we go through all the time when we want to purchase. I love your I could
0: have huge. Convenience ramifications for consumers in terms of relevance and getting us much closer to what I think consumers expect, right? Mm-hmm. And think should be possible, but isn't always as reasonably possible, right? Because of so many reasons. And again, I think for marketers, would be great. I mean, just think about the reduction in the spoilage, the reduced, reduced waste. You'd no longer really be marketing or personalizing for people that don't have intent, uh, aren't interested, are tired of seeing the same thing over and over. Just the raw hit rate right? Yeah. of relevance would go up so much. And that is what marketers want. Right? Marketers want to be relevant. And marketers the marketers I deal with are very conscientious, and they want to give their customers amazing experiences when and how they want it. So it's a win-win if that kind of capability or environment can, can come to fruition.
1: I love it. I love it. So, Joe, if people would like to reach you, what's the best way that they can get in touch
0: yeah, I would love to. I love meeting new people and getting new ideas and getting feedback on where brands and uh, even technology suppliers are with some of these ideas and capabilities. I'm on Twitter I'm at Joe Stanhope. Love to engage there, and of course you can email me directly. It's
1: com. Fantastic. Thanks for providing your information. I, I know not everybody is comfortable providing contact information, so don't abuse Joe for all of his great insights. <laughs> but I, I know I no, enjoy I love, reaching I, out I, you to know, you. I've
0: always loved this industry, it's been since for a long time and Thing that uh, gets me up in, in the morning and makes me excited is, is how marketing and analytics, you know, are always evolving, and of course, the, the community around it. It's always been a great, great group of
1: people. Uh, it, it is.
0: Me, uh, everyone in this business. It's,
1: it's it great. is. Yeah, I'm going to attempt to summarize a little bit, but I'm going to ask you to fill in if I've missed anything. And we took a slightly different format on our podcast, so I'm going to break it into two different pieces of the summary. We started out with why should I care about the future of MarTech? And I think this really comes down to the fact that we've entered the age of the customer, like you said, and I ardently believe this as well. And that's resulted in this kind of everyday MarTech disruption around us, as well as so you have MarTech disruption of new innovations, new tools, and customer expectations going higher and higher, but the old tools and the methods don't really work. And so we're kind of in this crossfire of trying to figure out where do we sit with the platform or with the tool stack? And how do we get to this beautiful future of satisfying the customer? I actually think the only thing that does work in that old paradigm is probably the math, which we've talked about on other podcasts, the customer lifetime value math, which is a great way to still keep the focus on the customer. Did I capture that about right?
0: Couldn't agree more. It's The technology is not optional. The need for it is escalating, and it's time for rethinking customer engagement. In the age of the customer, we need to rethink the technology foundation as well and make sure that that's keeping pace with how we want to engage
1: Good, and then we talked about some of the dimensions that you encourage your clients to think through in the MarTech stack. So when you put a roadmap together for where you go, you need to think through things about what do you want it to accomplish? You mentioned use cases, and how do you want to engage with people? I think that actually the undercurrent of that, which we didn't talk about specifically, is that marketers need to understand the business and what drives the business at a very deep level or perhaps have partnerships with the CFO or the other aspects of the organization that help them know that when there is certain types of engagement that they tend to get better customers long-term or if people are buying immediately, maybe there's interesting patterns in the recency and frequency of buying behavior that help them think through use cases that drive the business model instead of doing that rearview campaign analysis that you mentioned.
0: That's right. Marketers have to represent the customer, right, within their firms. They have to take a multidisciplinary approach, technology with finance, with product, to thinking through and planning thoughtfully how they want to engage with customers, how they want to acquire customers. And marketers have to be strategists, and that's what's hard about it. Thinking strategically, marketing, having the seat at the table to to make those strategic decisions is harder than just going out and buying a technology. But I will tell you, the company that physically sends your emails matters a lot less than your customer engagement strategy. Almost anyone can send your emails. No one else can tell you the best way to engage with your customers. And that's where our marketers need to put their cycle time.
1: That's perfect. It's a great tidbit right there, a great nugget. And then finally, we talked about the ideal future of empowered customers and how that equals happy, efficient, effective marketers. I think this is a brilliant future. So I love that you shared this with us about the future of MarTech and how everybody wins in the long run. That's just fantastic.
0: It's an exciting time. There's so much potential to use some of these technologies and to look down the line at some of the technologies having become practical in the near to midterm future. It's just, it's really exciting and it's an amazing opportunity for the brands that learn how to leverage those tools well to create differentiators and advantages in their industries. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, everything we discussed today is going to be at AmbitionData.com slash podcast. And there were a few call outs that we'll be linking to. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. It was wonderful to have you on the show and hear your insights.
0: Thank you. It was wonderful to be here. Great conversation.
1: Remember, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. It's not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. You for joining today's show. This is Allison. Just a few things before you head out. Every Friday, I put together a short bulleted list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. I actually call this email The Signal. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics. Or people and companies I think are doing amazing work building customer equity. If you'd like to receive this nugget of goodness each week, you can sign up at AmbitionData.com and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoy The Signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.